0: going on everyone it is Thursday August 19th uh, 2021 uh, welcome to state of the family courts I am your host mark real uh, tonight we have um, our guest tonight is Illinois attorney Ted Bush and we got a lot of really really interesting topics lined up for tonight so Ted I'll go ahead and I'll turn it over to you let you introduce yourself to our viewers
1: okay well um-
0: My name is Ted Bush. I uh, grew up in Wisconsin,
1: Appleton, Green Bay Packer uh, fan. I worked in Washington for 15 years, including five for Illinois congressmen. Worked in the Capitol, then I lobbied the House and Senate for a few years. When I was done, I worked on China trade issues 10 years before Trump. Uh, Actually, more than that, about 15 years before Trump. Uh, After China acceded to the World Trade Organization, we were losing manufacturing jobs in the industrial Midwest and all over the country. Um, And so that's really where I I got involved from a public policy perspective. I got to know a lot of the people that became part of the Trump administration. Um, And then I went to law school after that, uh, during the start of the Obama administration. So there, there wasn't a lot going on there. So it was a good time to go to law school. Got a law degree, moved back to Illinois to the Midwest, and then started a divorce proceeding uh, in Cook County. Not a good place to go, folks. If you're if you're searching for a venue to get divorced, don't go to Cook County, and and, and try not to be a man. Get some get some gender reassignment surgery or something before you do that, because Cook County men any person actually in cook county is 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 not in not in good shape um and so i i learned very quickly uh that everyone in washington the the entire time was honest and trustworthy and 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 had a lot of integrity and in fact all the swamp uh is just around you know the great lakes particularly in 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 the chicago region where i realized very quickly how amazingly corrupt uh, the, the Cook County uh, you know, Chicago area, but also broadly that we have broad systemic problems. So that's sort of what where my background comes on come from is large federal problems, national problems. and there can't be anything as broad that, it, that encompasses more areas of law that's more dysfunctional than the area of domestic relations law and particularly how that law is applied. So that's how I got into this. I've only been doing this for a few years, Mark. You're the same way Sean Kuhlmeyer was on yesterday. There's, there's some of us that, that didn't come into this, we got dragged into it. Mm-hmm. And so once you spend enough time, like you have, once you spend enough time learning about all this stuff, then you're sort of stuck and you're saying, well, you know, actually I have something to give now. I have experience and, and particularly I come at it from my own angle. You know, I didn't learn this from the establishment. I learned the law, I learned the rules, but, you know, the, basically the values, the what, what laws and rules are really important and which ones are normally ignored are sort of what I focus in on. And is that I'm not giving up uh, any space, not ceding any rights, not ceding any customs or practices that are harmful. And I, and I, I fight against a lot of those.
0: Yeah, very much a similar story to mine. Uh, Sean and I covered it in depth last week because he was another individual, another attorney who was kind of drug into the system. Um, I, I cut my teeth as a sports and fitness executive and went to law school. And I thought I was going to be, as as a Chicago guy now, um, in my mind at the time, I was going to be the next Theo Epstein when I was in law yeah. school. And uh, I, I always tell of my clients, uh i didn't i wasn't trained to do this i i learned how to do this and learned my thought process through the school of hard knocks through personally experiencing what the system can and will do so you you got a couple of, of very interesting pieces that obviously play a large role in your ability to navigate the domestic relations law family courts and not just in court, but reform as well. You have an extensive background working in Washington, both being in a politician's office mm-hmm. and also lobbying. Um, yeah. So on the second half of this, uh, we're, we're going to talk about this. Let's start. Let's start this out. We, we've we already covered probably about three months ago. We went into depth about Illinois law. Um, so I'm going to plug that. If you go back and look at our interview with Joe Emmerth, uh, we went in and we were very Illinois specific. So tonight, there's probably not an individual that's going to be more well versed right now on get on federal jurisdiction and domestic relations, given the fact that uh, you've you've actually been a named uh, named. Were you the plaintiff in the case, or the?
1: Actually, my son was. Uh, I okay. was a co-plaintiff, but I was his attorney. So, so People you were- love that, Mark. Mark, they loved that I was his attorney of record in federal court. All oh, the state courts just. And I had a field day with that. I had a field day. Yeah, um, just quickly, yeah, Joe Emmerth, I, I watched your show with Joe. And, and if I was in Kane, if I was in Grundy County, if I was in DuPage, if I even coming into Cook, if you're in Illinois, give Joe Emmerth a call because I, I was impressed by him. If I knew more about this, I would have gone to Joe Emmerth. So I, I endorsed Joe. And, and urge your your viewers to learn as much about Illinois and to go back three months and to watch your wonderful interview with Joe.
0: Couldn't agree more. I've, I've known Joe longer than about anybody since since I was in law school. And uh, mm-hmm. not only is he a skilled litigator, but he is an amazing human being. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So let's go ahead and we'll hop right into talking about jurisdiction and federal court. So. Uh, it's, it's pretty well known, it's pretty out there. There have been a lot of challenges with bringing family law cases or constitutional challenges to laws and statutes in family codes into federal court. So can you tell us a little bit about your case in the yeah? The so
1: so I, I've spent hours and hours and hours researching this uh, because I, I got involved in it myself. And so it, 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 at this point, there, there are a few people that are more versed in whether you can bring your, your case into federal court. And you know this, Mark, because everyone's always coming to you and, and other attorneys saying, you know, I've had it with the state system. The state system just doesn't get it. I want to go to a different system. I want to go to a federal system. But the, the problem is, is that most people find out is that generally you can't. Now, uh, I represent Cash Jackson. Cash Jackson is well known amongst our movement. He's one of our loudest voices. We just had a five and a half day trial. Cash was sort of famous, and I've seen other people do this. Cash tried to remove his case from Lake County, Illinois, into federal court, and and just mean, meaning transfer. A removal is like a transfer. So I was saying, all right, I, see you folks. I'm leaving Illinois. I want to litigate this in federal court. He actually had a lot of good reasons to do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but, but the problem is why that's not going to work is that number one, there are a number of reasons, but
0: let's let's take a step back Yeah, for our viewers who have not had the privilege of sitting through an entire semester of civil procedure. Right. Can we talk a little bit about how it it really, it's kind of a technical process,
1: right? So there are some cases there, there's two, uh, we're getting really, we're going really into law school here. So there's generally two types of federal cases. There's federal jurisdiction, meaning there's a federal question. There's a federal statute, a law, constitution, something that involves something clearly federal. Okay, a slip and fall at the grocery store is not a federal question. The other part is diversity jurisdiction, where if you're, one person's in another state and another person is in another state, we have a federal forum that's supposed to be neutral. Uh, because in some cases, if you're if, if it's an in-state plaintiff versus an out-of-state plaintiff, there's a fear that the state court's going to be biased against their own people. So for anything over $75,000, you're able to go into federal court and to litigate basically non-federal questions.
0: So essentially, <clears throat> kind of simply put, if it doesn't fall into one of those two baskets, it's, it is left to the state. So that's kind of the first hurdle is you have to make your case fit into one of those two baskets.
1: Right. And and so so the the problem with diversity is that people could be hearing this and saying, "Ah, I live in New Jersey and my ex-wife lives in New York. I'll just sue for a divorce in uh and let's say New Jersey Federal Court." That's not going to work. Uh and the reason what that's not going to work. And let's say that you've got assets over $75,000. So let's say that you claim that she owes you $75,000. Let's say you file a tort claim against her, like similar like what Sean's doing up in Washington. Um, Then you would have diversity jurisdiction conceivably. But if you're trying to seek a divorce, child custody decree, spousal support decree, or asking a court to divide the marital assets, you're going to run into something called the domestic relations exception to, to federal jurisdiction. Now, generally that only applies to diversity cases, meaning, meaning. Uh, but there are actually the Seventh Circuit where I live, which is Indiana, Wisconsin, and Illinois, is the only state that is sort of carved out a little bit where they would potentially apply that doctrine to federal questions. But generally the law is is that if you, if, if you want a federal court to basically perform the traditional functions of a state court, you're gonna get kicked out. So don't even try. Now now what you can potentially, and don't try to remove your cases because you have, first of all, you have to be the defendant and it has to be less than 30 days. But if, if your case starts in state court, you're not gonna be able to send it up to federal court. So federal removals, which is a transfer, forget that too. But there are some cases um that that could potentially get into federal focus federal jurisdiction legitimate federal questions um number one if let's say you're challenging a state statute that could that's complicated there are other problems with that you could potentially get in get in uh there there was a, a challenge to california's surrogacy law that was challenged in a 2016 case in the Ninth Circuit called Cook versus Harding a really good case that people should look up and you'll hear, you'll see a state court or a federal court dealing with a state domestic relations law. there's been you know uh, state laws challenged all over the country uh, that, that involved domestic relations so you can do that Now the, I think and, and this I can go into how I got into this but basically for your viewers out there, if you're going to try to get into federal court, you're going to have to go more than likely after someone who's number one, not a party to your divorce case. Uh, more than likely, not not positive, but let's say you're, you're opposing counsel, waste of time, you're, you're, you're uh, opposing party, your ex-wife, depends. Uh, there, there have been cases where people have successfully sued their for a, a form of say of a tort claim against their spouse in federal court, that's very hard. Like pension issues, I, I've seen get into federal court successfully where you're dealing with a RISAL law, uh, the, earned, earned, uh, the you know the pension law, the retirement law. There's there's a federal federal element to that. But what you're really going to have to do, more than likely, in order to get into federal court, is you're going to have to have a state actor come in and and injure you. And I think that the most likely way you could do that would be most obviously as a police officer. So let's say a police officer violates your rights, CPS, DCFS, okay, Child Protective Services, Department of Children and Family Services, that's what we have in Illinois and California. Uh, that is very fertile uh, ground. And there's there's great people like Sean McMillan and in, in California. Uh, there are some people that used to do this in Illinois. We're sort of in a, in, in a desert. Uh, but I think you know, that I would be, if someone came to me with a case, it would be more likely to be a CPS case where they violated the Fourth Amendment or the 14th Amendment, like safety plans. Okay, that you you hear and you see these all over the country. They, they're called all kinds of different kinds of names. In North Carolina, they're I think a preventive plan or something like that, where there was a large verdict uh, not too long ago. Let's say if the state comes in and takes your children away without a warrant, without probable cause, without, without any basis, I've, there's plenty of cases out here where the uh, council will come in and file for an emergency injunction uh, to return the children. Okay, so that that's, those are some examples. Um, Possibly a public school, let's say you're, Your children are are subject to an unlawful interrogation in a public school. Maybe you could get in in there, but you you know, in order to get into federal court, you you really, you know, in order, you have to find an eligible plaintiff. And right now, as of this moment, it has to be sort of in the outer periphery that someone who's not connected to your case comes
2: in and, and interferes with it. And and is, uh, somehow.
0: I'll, I'll comment on that. So you mentioned the state actor piece. Uh, so we hear—I'm sure you're—you're you're in some of the forums. There, there's a lot of talk around color of law in 1983. Is that what you're talking about with yes. state actor? Because the vast majority—I don't think—I don't know if people are really aware. The vast majority of 1983 claims that are even some semblance of successful usually involve law enforcement.
1: Right. Yeah, this is 1983. 1985 is also conspiracies. You, you, Mark, I'm sure you you feel the same way. Everyone, especially in family law, hates to hear the word conspiracy. I I almost never say it myself. Uh, it, it, you know, concerted action is something that, that I feel more comfortable with. But there is a law that says that if 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 a group of people conspire to violate your civil rights, you can do that. And in fact, there's this great case out of Illinois of uh, the uh, hi Sean, the the. Uh, the seventh, the seventh Circuit issued an opinion in, in 2000 called Brokaw versus Mercer County, in which, in fact, a downstate county, a sheriff, CPS, the judge, all showed up and took these kids away from his parents. And he turns 18, sues them all, and survives two motions to dismiss, uh, where that was a, they were alleging a conspiracy, and that that actually made it through. Uh, and that, that is amazing. Like, I mean, the other way to get standing is to have emancip- emancipated children reach majority age and then go back and sue the people that damaged them, including their own attorneys. Uh, there, there, there have been, and, and that is solid law, at least where I am. And that case is, is uh, cited all over the, the country, in neighboring circuits. It's a very influential, important case that any of your viewers, you want to learn about federal law, Read Brokaw versus Mercer County, 2007 Circuit
0: Court of Appeals. I thought you made made a couple really, really good points in there. A lot of times when it comes to domestic cases and federal court, you can't necessarily attack head on. It's usually not something straightforward. Um, and I'm sure it's a question you get on a, on a very regular basis. Oh, can I take this to federal court? I want to do this. Most of the time, the answer is going to be no. Um, it's usually, I've seen ones that have actually gotten in where it involves welfare benefits, um, where okay. it involves, um, like I said, CPS, different things like that. But you're probably going to have to have something unique and probably some administrative body, some state actor involved right. to be, for it to even be entertained because the federal courts are going to be looking for a way to kick you out and kick you back into your respective state courts.
1: For sure. And so this is, this is how I got into this. And so my ex-wife is a narcissistic borderline personality, uh, more borderline. Uh, oh, th- Sean, thank you for that citation. Um, more borderline. Uh, and she made an allegation against me back in October of 2018 that was false. Uh, st- she started. She went to a counselor, told the counselor that I allegedly choked my son two months prior while on a family vacation in northern Wisconsin. So two months pass. She goes to the counselor, makes the allegation to her unilaterally selected counselor. The counselor calls DCFS, starts an investigation. The, the investigator goes over to my child's school pulls him out of of class, interviews him alone for 10 minutes in the empty principal's office. That was a Fourth Amendment violation. There was no warrant, there was no consent, just showed up at a private school, grabbed him and started asking him questions that he had no idea. My son was seven, had no idea what she was asking. Then she came over to my house and tried to get me to agree to a safety plan that was recorded by police body camera footage. So this whole thing was recorded. And, and here they are coming up to an attorney. Actually, I put this on my Facebook page. You can actually watch this, some of this. I didn't put the whole thing. It's an 11-minute video. But I, I put a clip of it where they come in and they're saying, you know, um, they're saying, you know, you know, I need to do an investigation. In order for me to do an investigation, the kids have to go somewhere else. If the kids, in order for me to you know, so, so, so she comes in and she lies. She claims she's not taking the kids, but then it turns out she is. So she lies to the cops creates a combustible situation. And she goes, do, you know, do I know you choked him? I don't know. And then my son right over here is like, my dad did not choke me. You know, So it's on video. And so they're, they've got no probable cause. They've got no warrant. They got no nothing. And, and they're coming into an attorney's house. And I kicked them out of my house, ejected That's them straight right. up. She refused to leave. She trespassed. And then even later outside, she, then she goes outside. So this is all recorded. Uh, folks, police body cam is a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, FOIA, uh, get, get this because it, literally it's like you're surveilling your opponent. You're You're getting things, you're getting conversations that you would never get. And so we recorded her trying to take my kids without, admittedly, no grounds to take protective custody trying to give them back to my ex-wife, okay? So she's basically interjecting herself as a judge in a custody case, not knowing anything that's going on. And then the cops tell her that, hey, he had the right to kick you out, okay? So what happens was, is that the the, 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 CPS, the DCFS investigator get, complains that I kicked her out. She goes and she talks to the guardian ad litem, says, oh, you know, he kicked me out, he kicked me out, doesn't say anything that, that my son denied everything, okay? Mm-hmm. Then my ex files an emergency order protection on October 9th, 2018, goes into court the next day and claims that my son made the allegation in the counselor's office when in fact she did. Okay, so she, so it creates, you, you've you seen this, like it always happens, there's always, it, it's, it happened to Chris Cole recently where where they, they, they just sort of nibble around the edges and they get all these peripheral actors to sort of turn on the targeted parent. And that's that's what, what what my ex was doing. Well, this turned into a federal lawsuit because the judge in my case used my ejection of the DCFS workers against me. Now the investigation was unfounded. And so the, even they admitted they had no grounds to proceed. Okay, so completely unfounded. And I still don't get my kids back because. I ejected them and they thought I had an anger issue because I ejected the state workers from my apartment, which I was legally entitled to do. Uh, the First year of criminal procedure, first day of criminal procedure, that's the first question. If the police show up at your house without probable cause, do you answer the door? The answer is no, bye, you know, see you later. You, you have no reason to be here. So. We we see all these cases of where parents are getting intimidated and coerced to agree to these safety plans or prevention plans or all these lovely little names that they have, which is really a smash and grab on someone's children and investigating later. That's not how it works. In order for them to have authority to remove a child, there has to be imminent danger. The house has to be on fire. The the, the roof has to be cl- you know literally about to fall in. You know, they don't have, the, they do not have the authority to do what they did. So I sued in federal court, I sued the caseworkers for violating the fourth and 14th amendment and a, and a settlement agreement that they actually agreed not to do this in 2016, not to take children without grounds to have protective custody. I have the caseworker on video saying she didn't have such grounds. So they ran into an attorney and the state came back. This is called, this case is called JV versus Woodard. The state came back and said, no, you can't be in federal court because of something called the Younger Abstention Doctrine. And the Younger Abstention Doctrine basically states that as long as there is a concurrent state proceeding, you can't go into federal court. Okay. So they argue this to this federal district court judge by the name of Sharon Johnson Coleman, who was an Obama appointee. And Sharon Johnson Coleman, a former juvenile court judge in Cook County, Illinois, agrees with him and dismisses the case. And so this is this is January of 2000 or 2020, January of 2020. My case is dismissed. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. I appeal to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And and the biggest argument that I made, and and you see this a lot, you know, the, the, the state will try to throw you out categorically because you have just for the fact that you have an ongoing civil proceeding. Their view is that we are never entitled to get into federal court for the mere fact that we are in a, a divorce case, a divorce proceeding. And I turned around and I said, no, that's absolute total bullshit. Uh, that That is not what the law is. And in fact, so I did some research. I looked through all the cases. I found a case from 1986 called Link versus Laporte Superior Court, number two which was a case written by Judge Richard Posner. You know, everyone knows who he is. One of the more famous-
0: Anybody who went to law school in the Seventh Circuit. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's and
1: for a while, he was one of the more famous, you know, conservative appellate court justices uh, in, in the country. He used to clerk for, for William Brennan, who was the most liberal Supreme Court justice probably ever. So he had a very interesting background. So he wrote, he said, no, no, no. This doesn't apply in these cases because these are civil proceedings. The state's not involved, okay? It's not the state of California versus Mark Real or the state of Illinois versus me. This is Erica and Edwin Bush. This is, uh, you know, Cash Jackson and Julia Winderweedle, two different people, private people. The state is not a party. And there could not be anything more important and knocking down that doctrine, which is what I did, I won on this question because the state thinks it can do anything and, and what I argued and what is at least now settled law in the seventh circuit is that no, this, this abstention doctrine doesn't apply because the state is not a party to the dissolution case. That is so important. That is limiting the power of the state that the state thinks, well, as long as the best interest of the child is at stake, where well, the state's an, interest, is an interested party and we can come in and do anything that we want. No, you can't. I mean, my, my view is that it's totally unconstitutional. It's a total overreach of the state. If the state ha- is going to do something, there has to be a motion file, there has to be notice, there has to be a hearing. You know, We have all this problem in Illinois and in so many other states, of what what are what are called sua sponte orders orders by the court's own motion so the court's coming in as a prosecutor or even a or or a or or a police department coming in filing charges deciding the charges and then executing the sentence basically and and my argument is is that the state has no authority to do that and what i what i got in federal court is at least sort of you know, whittling away at, at the fiction of the power of the state over your family.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting uh, piece in general, the state being involved, because there's different rules around being able to sue the state and how you can go about it. Um, so the, the one piece you mentioned it briefly that will kind of wrap up our discussion about jurisdiction um, Rooker Feldman, that that's another, that's another doctrine that gets thrown around quite commonly. What is Rooker Feldman and how does it impact family law cases and attempting to get into federal? court?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, thanks Mark. And, and so Rooker Feldman basically states that a federal court can't be a, a, an appeals court of a state court decision. So, so if you don't like your custody judgment, if you don't like your, your whatever, you, you you can't you can't go into federal court and seek to have it vacated generally at all. That you you have to exhaust your remedies through the state system. Uh, and then only after that, if you have basically an independent federal claim, maybe you could attack it, but you can't attack it directly. So so that that's been you know, form the the rooker Feldman doctrine's been around for about a hundred years or so. It's formulated, you know. Uh, and, and it routinely knocks out these type of types of cases. Now, what happened in J. B. versus Woodard is phenomenal. Okay, and and you'll know this, Mark, because you're familiar with Anken Brandt versus Richards is a 1992 case from the Supreme Court, which is the last time the Supreme Court really addressed the domestic relations exception to to federal jurisdiction. And in there, the, the Supreme Court noted that. Custody cases, you know, dissolution cases are very different because they're ongoing, that they never end. And and what happened in my in this case that I brought, I never expected to win this easily on Rooker Feldman. So my case was a little unique, is that I had my state appellate court judgment vacated by the state appellate court. But it that didn't even really matter. The the Seventh Circuit held that because your, your your case is ongoing. If there's no final judgment in your case, let's say you're still in the temporary order phase, or let's say you get your judgment tossed out by the state appellate court or for that matter, anything until your kids turn 18, as long as the courts have jurisdiction, your case isn't over. So what, what happened, at least in the Seventh Circuit, is they knocked out Rooker Feldman for the entire class of litigants, parents that have active cases, in Domestic Relations Court because they acknowledge that these cases don't end. So there's no final order to appeal. If you don't have a final order to appeal, Rooker-Feldman doesn't apply. And that is a huge break for you if you're trying to get into federal court
0: so essentially at its kind of essence in simple terms with rooker feldman once you're in state court you're in state trial court you then you would appeal to the state appellate court and then you go to the state supreme court and after the state supreme court would be the united states supreme court and you can't once you have an order if the trial court makes a decision you can't run over into federal court and try to get a different decision you have to work your way through but with this decision now it essentially says there's never a final order, so Rooker or Feldman shouldn't apply.
1: Well, I mean that's how it could be read. In my case, it was crystal clear because my state appellate court, my state, the state appellate court vacated the circuit court judgment in my case. So it was without a doubt my my case was not final uh, because the, the appellate court held it. But I think that that it's much broader than that. Uh, that even in a post judgment proceeding. That you would be able to get around Rooker Feldman because of the prospect of basically these arrangements never ending, never changing. So I I, I think that there there are some positive. uh, I mean, you know, you know this, Mark. I mean, when you try to make change, you're usually just chipping away at the edges, uh, you know. And that's what what I was trying to do there is weaken the foundation. I did it in my own case, and for as far as I can tell, it worked. And, and the uh, the disposition of this uh, opinion that was issued on March 12th, 2021, only a few months ago, the disposition was, is that if the state courts are proven unwilling to address constitutional claims, then the federal courts can take jurisdiction. That is huge. So what they're saying is, is that is that if you have a constitutional claim in your state dissolution case, bring it. Because the state courts are very likely to duck it. Uh, categorically, there's all kinds of ways in Illinois that you can duck a constitutional question. You can even block a case from getting up to the appellate court, depending on the type of order. Okay, so it, bring your constitutional claims in state court. And if they duck it, at least in, in the three states that I'm in, and I've seen other similar rulings in other circuits, there's a case in the sixth circuit I'm aware of that said something similar. If they don't, if they're not, if, if you're bringing federal claims and they're not hearing them, the federal court in this case said, yes, you can go. As long as the state courts proves, proves unwilling to address it. That's huge.
0: That that's, that's a very big piece with, with what we're doing. Like I said, I, I'm aware of at least five or six instances right now where people have successfully gotten in. And if you're not in the sixth circuit, if you're not in the seventh circuit, these this case law is something that can be utilized they don't have to follow it but it can be something that can be utilized to say hey we have two other circuits we have three other circuits that this is the way they're doing it and that's gonna that's gonna weigh heavy on the court when they go to make a decision it's not it goes, it,
1: junior, it goes viral junior. yeah yeah
0: and 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 on top of that we always talk about change well how do you create change through legislation so like for example we have i was in law school when um the gay marriage case came was decided by the supreme court and what it essentially takes is it either takes state supreme courts or federal appellate jurisdictions to have split decisions for the supreme court to take up a case so Mm -hmm. if you go to if you're in the fourth circuit and you and they they say hey no this is not how we're going to do things all of a sudden we're split and that opens it up to where the ultimate court of the land can step in and make a decision and potentially make progress so it's not just legislation that can create change in this space if the all the stars align the courts can make significant change
1: yeah yeah so that'll give people a pretty good rundown so you know you know, by the time you you start watching Mark's show, you know it's probably too late for you. But it, it, because the damage has been done, and people realize, I mean, people need to get to the to these shows a lot sooner. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, honestly, you you sh- they should be playing your show outside the courthouse when people go in and get married, Mark. Um, but but it, it, this discussion will hopefully save people time from going down a rabbit hole that may lead to nowhere. So this this hopefully will sort of give you you know more than likely you're not going to get in but there are some ways that you could and you know if you can find an attorney that will take it go for it
0: or you could have uh, i don't know if you've seen the video there was the attorney that kind of went at you on there trying to get some clout on youtube
1: yeah you know i I, 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 I look i mean this guy, like this guy, I, I, I'm not even going re- to respond. I have nope, not watched
0: it, Not work to say I
1: watch this video, but like I'm like anyone who knows me knew what I was appealing and what I was trying to win on. And I won on it. So look, a win is a win. You know, they they basically kicked my case back to the to the state court because they wanted to anyway. But but I at least I mean, anyone who's been in federal motion practice I'm, it will know. That that if if you're if you knock out domestic relations exception Rooker Feldman and Younger abstention the state's going to be in a much more difficult position to knock your case out of federal court and once you defeat a motion to dismiss you're more likely to get a favorable resolution probably by by consent agreement.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, guys, so we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be on the backside with Ted and we're gonna talk about narcissistic personality disorders and building coalitions and his experience working in Washington. So we'll see you guys on the other side.
2: You love your children and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. The program is very simple. Sign up, download the app, Access Services, Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon, like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $35 a month Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. they today and they tomorrow.
0: And we are back. My name is Mark Real. And we are here tonight on State of the Family Courts with Illinois Attorney Ted Bush. So... We went through all of the, the federal jurisdiction issues that we deal with, and your own personal case where that you handled that actually chipped away at some of those issues in the Seventh Circuit. We'll kind of do a 180 and we'll move into something that I think is, is very common for both men and women to deal with in family court, and that is dealing with someone with narcissistic borderline personality disorders. So, for our viewers, can you kind of explain uh, from, from a legal front, from a legal side of things, what that means?
1: Well, I, I'm dealing with, I mean, this is sort of the forefront on my mind right now because I, I'm dealing with with, with Cash's case. I'm, I'm in the process of writing closing arguments after a five-day trial that he had. And I, there are some attorneys in Illinois that I've seen that have actually advertised their familiarity with these types of personality disorders. And I would recommend anyone. You know, I'm not saying that I'm the biggest expert in the world on this. I I, I have a, a fairly functional uh, understanding, but I, I mean, it, what where I'm looking at in Cash's case, really? I mean, it, I mean, you know how uh, uh, in your practice, Mark, you're applying the facts to the law, and 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 for an alienation case, what I'm seeing, because I'm trying, I'm in the process of formulating my argument to the judge right now. Is that I'm applying the facts to basically Dr. Richard Gardner's eight signs of parental alienation, and and, and people who are familiar with Dr. Richard Gardner is that he basically coined the frame the phrase parental alienation back in the 80s, and he's sort of created a lineage of sort of off uh, followers, uh, other doctors who have applied to this day his eight. Factors. And those those are really like the law. I mean, you've seen this, of course, all the time, Mark, where you know that the 17 best interest factors of the uh, Illinois Marriage and Dissolution of Marriage Act, the 15 factors for decision making. There's always factors. We're always applying the facts to the to the law or the facts to factors. And I think what attorneys should possibly be doing more is going in and applying the facts to things like Gardner's eight signs. Which are uh, basically an, an, an unexplained, irrational rejection of one parent, and then seven, basically variations of that. Um, but but the universal uh, sort of connection uh, to these high conflict divorce cases that I that I typically do my cases that I normally take are horrendous. Uh, I mean I mean just a, a bloodbath. Uh, you know, more than likely, a massive due process violation, a prolonged separation between a parent and a child, and coming in and basically fighting everybody. Uh, but the the common element is the, the really the narcissistic borderline personality disorder. And I've done a little bit of research. I've done my best to pick up. I've talked to experts. I've talked to psychologists, and and people are often confused about about why these are two why these two. Doctrines are patched together. Why these two personality disorders are so associated? And the best explanation that I saw was from Dr. Craig Childress, who in 2014 uh, put out a, uh, you know, basically a blog post that indicated that the commonality is the insecurity of the of the aligning parent. That that the aligning parent really isn't the, this Greek god gift. From the heavens, who's the greatest person ever? They actually feel very, very low of themselves. They have deep seated insecurities that, more than likely from their childhood, that they've never uh, uh, resolved. And so, what happens is that the borderline parent is the one that has an attachment disorder. Uh, and for example, like when you're rocking a baby to sleep and you put them in the crib and they, and the baby cries that's an example of an attachment disorder the baby wants to be back in the in the, the mother's arms or the father's arms uh it's it's that sort of adultified where you've got these grown people that have that same sort of symptom where if i'm if i'm away from my kids i'm gonna panic and i'm afraid that my children will never recognize me or i'm afraid that that i'll never see them again and so i'll do or, or say anything to keep those children near me, including lying, making up any excuses. I mean, I, I've, I've seen this, Mark. I mean, you've had women on the stand. I know uh, from, you know, anyone in Riverside County should go and, and look you up, real father's rights, uh, neighboring counties too. But you know, you've had women on the stand and when they're c- confronted, they remind me of the fembots from Austin Powers. You know where austin powers takes off his shirt and the, the bots can't take it and they melt down they, they you know they literally are just and they'll, they'll say and do anything these women will say and do anything make any excuse that's borderline personality disorder that's at its core the narcissistic element is when they, they have the same insecurity but instead of reverting to that sort of clingy attachment you know, I, I feel insecure, so I'm never going to let you go. That kind of mentality. The narcissistic personality is when they go and they inflate themselves so high that, that 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 instead of being clingy, they just look down on everybody else. And they're they're very arrogant. They're very, very sensitive to criticism. Those people are really easy to trigger on the stand. You get them really mad. Uh, men are, are the ones that usually I think uh, I- exhibit the narcissistic side, uh, and, and they're terrible. But but that is the common element. And and I've dealt with counselors, and they tell me, well, you know, the solution is if you're a man and you're targeted by this personality, is to ease their fears. You're supposed to go to your ex-wife and say, hey, you're violating my civil rights. You're trying to erase me as a father but I'm not going to do the same thing to you. That sounds great. Except for the fact when you're dealing with family court, because then then those statements are going to be used against you. You're going to say all these great positive supporting things about your ex and your ex is going to turn it around and use it against you. So as long as the courts are broken as they are and don't have the slightest understanding of what's going on, the counterintuitive signals, the 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 fundamental attribution errors of getting the wrong uh, culpable party all the other signs these people know nothing and so it's it's treacherous it's dangerous it's horrible and and if you know your attorney needs to be aware of this they need to understand it clearly and if they don't and if they don't have the ability to persuade the judge you're in big trouble
0: Definitely, definitely. I think I think your comment there kind of. We're uh, we're we're getting we're about three fourths of the way through. If you do have questions for Ted, I see a few of them in the chat here. Go ahead and drop them. We will take a few questions, uh, but we'll transition to creating that change. You mentioned the system being broken, um, and you're an individual now. You represent both men and women in family court, and we've had the opportunity to talk about some of the horrific things that that you've seen, you've dealt with, that you've had to work through with your clients. Um, but you've also been inside the political machine, both on the lobbying front and actually working for senators. So I, I think uh, yesterday during our conversation, you made a really, really strong point. I think the US census, I think, was where the data came from. Right. But it's something like 78% of custodial parents are women. Um, But another statistic is there are 14% of the instances where parents are separated from their children, it's women. And a lot of times we look at this, we're on this page, the father's rights movement. And obviously, men tend to be at an eight to nine to one gap, be the one that's targeted and impacted by this. But 14% of the time, it is women. So Can you talk a little bit about your experience in terms of coalition building and what that means and how we can effectively move things forward? Yeah, and
1: and I'm just going to tell my own story of my own evolution because a year, a year year and a half ago, I probably would never believe how my own sort of journey, I got to be to where I am, where about half my clients are women and uh, I love them equally. Uh, I mean they're they're all great people. My, I, it, I, I don't have any problem uh, representing women because most of, most of the women that I represent are targeted by narcissistic borderline men, particularly narcissistic. and and it, what, when we come into this and we're, we're, we're fresh, I mean we all remember your first court date, your, your first experiences, you know how much cases, are formulated the trajectory of a case is formulated by what happens in the very beginning the very first few court dates so we've all been through this we've all been traumatized we've all looked around and to say you know what you know here we go again this is this is the war on men this is you know in illinois 1972 stanley versus illinois famous us supreme court case men didn't have any rights at all if you if you were not married and you and your wife became incapacitated your kid went up to adoption without a hearing okay so father's rights is real okay the, the, there are so many problems including that that some people in Illinois put on the father's rights hat but in fact they're just like everybody else that's not the case with the people in our reform movement you know so there, there's all kinds of little problems but what I what, what I when I started experiencing this discrimination, and it was discrimination, I i very much looked at it as a gender divide. It was this is men versus women. This is the gender wars, and there's certainly truth to that. But the but the broader pattern, at least in Illinois, is that we've got a bigger corruption problem. Uh, is that our you know in Illinois we have a situation where all guardian ad are required to be attorneys, and and I, I've talked to um, Ph.D. Psychologists that won't even talk to these people. I mean Despise them where you know, I I, I try to connect them. And they're like, I won't even speak to them And and then we start to we start to get a broader picture that wait a second the, 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 Who's captured in this is much more indiscriminate that in fact they aren't going after fathers they're going after Situations that will cause them to get the most money. They don't really care who you are. They don't care what gender you are uh, sometimes men win, sometimes men lose. Uh, and and you know there, there isn't a really coherent uh pattern it's it's just scattered and nonsense. So the longer I got into this, i started we started to deal with women that were reporting similar things and, and, and who were fit women, nurses, doctors, you name it, experiencing the same, uh pathological behavior where they're getting a raise can i hop in
0: on this we, we, yeah, we have we we have there, there's been a very public instance of this involving in st louis county um, yeah K- kenneth rosa has been very public about his mm-hmm. battle with the guardian ad litem well the first case that got thrown out against this guardian ad litem was a female attorney
2: mm-hmm. so
0: it, it can be indiscriminate I, my, my piece on, on a lot of these neutral third parties, a guardian ad litem, you and I, in theory, don't have the technical training to know, to be able to understand the psychology, the sociology, the things right. that need to go into the decisions that are made. So this is a lot of times the judge passing the buck off to someone else who isn't necessarily trained to make those decisions.
1: Right. Well, the, these attorneys are, are garbage and and uh, they're actually, believe it or not, they're under investigation right now. I'm not going to say by who you can guess, um, but but they've created such a mess for themselves out here um, and they deserve it. Uh, it, it so the, the bottom line, I mean, to, to make a long story short, is that is it, you know, if you're a father and you're going through this and you have you, you have a woman approach you and report the exact same thing that happened to her as it happened to you uh that, that the the same abuses uh prolonging litigation ignoring evidence uh, bias you name it you you can't turn them i mean in my case i'm not going to turn them away and and they're some of the best advocates because my, some of my female clients uh they, some of them were Uh, sexually assaulted, sexually battered, uh, psychologically abused, physically abused, and then they're erased from their kids. And so it's the same pattern of abuse. And some of these women are champions at going up against the domestic violence industry, which we're typically fighting in, in the legislative realm, in the lobbying realm. It's usually men's rights versus domestic violence industry, which is propped up by the attorneys. And so when when you've got people like women coming and saying, "Wait a second, parental, parental alienation is just another type of mental abuse. It's just another type of psychological abuse. It's no different than pushing me down the stairs. It's no different than punch, punching me in the face. It's the same kind of abuse." And that these and that these courts perpetrate it, you're you're, you're taking out, you know, you're you're having a woman as your spokesperson, and you're knocking out, uh, undercutting your your opposition so i would encourage everyone out there in the men's rights now the women aren't so good at reciprocating uh, but you know this is a little bit of a of, of a dance is to try is to reach out to some of these women and start dialogues around the country and find common cause with them because everyone knows that even though women win about seven out of eight custody cases that there are fractions of those that that there are some women that will be drug addicts. There will some women that will have, uh, you know, whatever mental mental illness where they are not the appropriate custodial parent. We all know that because we're men. We know that there are plenty capable men that are that are more than capable of being custodial parents that are not. But we also know that there are women in that in that one out of eight subset that have been rolled as bad as we have and that I don't think that they should be ignored. And that, and that, and on top of that, the stigma that they have about being, oh, can you imagine being a woman and losing custody of your children? You must, I mean, just the social stigma, you know? So, so supporting them and cultivating them and making them feel comfortable uh, for our long-term legislative efforts, for shared parenting legislation, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend that enough because we've, we've made some progress, at least in the Illinois area, of coalescing men and women. Uh, and that goes back to my lobbying days. I, I coalesced business and labor, uh, various seg- segments of the economy to take on Chinese trade policies. Unusual coalitions can happen, and we can do it.
0: I, I want to I hop in here on this, and uh, you make a good point around we need to have the women involved. And I'll say this. So the state of Arkansas has what, what into, went into effect, I believe, probably about a month ago now, the best mm-hmm. equal and shared parenting bill in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they really, the only thing they didn't get, there are a few little pieces, but essentially people who have already had their cases decided can't go back and utilize the new law. Right. Their lead point person in lobbying legislators was a female. Yep. So um, I had Brian Vandiver on probably about a month ago now and he talked about how important that was because she would get different questions than what they got and she would provide a different perspective and she was able to hit on different things than if it was just men going on in there and you 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 could probably get a handful of more legislators to hop on board if they realize this isn't just angry dads
1: yep yep and and we have to win we have to beat these people being clever you know taking taking the money out, taking the money out means doing creating coalitions that they never thought that could occur that's what happened to the democrats when trump got elected trump got all the blue collar voters from the rust belt states that lost all their jobs to china to join in and become part of the republican uh, republican voter base The democrats in, in congress never thought that could ever happen i was there the the, the you know so you can the, the arrogance that these people have the, the, this sense, over a sense of confidence, we can beat them and, and it's by pulling the rug out, out from under them and creating diverse coalitions.
0: Yeah and you talk about not going at them directly. Um, I always point to this a lot like there are a lot of uh, women's organizations and we won' I won't point out any in particular and then these bar associations and the judges associations that they are well funded. And for example, women's organizations have been out there lobbying for things to be the way they have they are for 60 years. They're, they're much more well-funded. They're much more established. And so our essentially opponent in this, the people who are going to push back against us, are going to have more money. They're probably going to have more relationships. So there has to be unique arguments and there have to be unique things to drive this legislation. And I, I always tell people this is a snowball that's growing. If you talk to anybody and in right. in, in an issue situation, like you and I are, are very, very new to an to like a political issue. Right. If you talk to anybody who's been around this issue for 10, 15, 20 years, which there aren't many because you time out of this. After 18 yeah. years, you're done. You talk to people that have been around for a long time on this, this used to be a radical issue. This used to be a radical idea. Now, if you take a step back this past year, five states passed bills that improved their equal and shared parenting in some form or fashion. It, it, four of them were not like Arkansas. Arkansas pretty much got everything that you could hope for and that you could ask for. But Texas and West Virginia increased access for non-custodial parents. Tennessee and Oklahoma, facts, findings, and conclusions. These are the first downs that need to be made. And Mm -hmm. you look at over the last decade, there were more steps made in 2021 in those five states than the last five to seven years combined. So this is a snowball that's growing. It's moved from being a radical extreme idea to it's moving into the mainstream. And it's something, it's an issue that can impact everyone. Well, I mean, the, other,
1: the other snowball that's happening is that the system can't take it anymore. The system's about to break, and yeah. and it's just sheer demographics. I mean, you, you, you're you aware that the divorce rate's been around 50% for a significant period of time. But what we've had, and we've actually seen that, how we, in Cook County, we had our, our parentage and our, and our divorce courts merged uh, because the parentage courts were be, becoming flooded. That's really the the, the the social phenomenon that's changed is the unmarried birth rate, which now is at 40% uh, uh, racial breakdown, 28% white, 56% Hispanic, 71% African American, 41% in total. That's huge. So you include the unmarried popu- uh, birth rate population with a divorce population, the the non-intact households are exploding and the courts, I mean, especially when these become high conflict, these courts do not have the bandwidth to be able to properly dispose of them. There has to be reform. There has to be a presumption of shared parenting or the system's gonna break. And there has to be a way to take these high conflict cases out of of the normal court system and create sort of a, a parallel system you know, it, you know, I I haven't been on I5 in a while, Mark, out in California. But, you know, what would happen if someone's in in the left-hand lane driving 50 miles an hour, slowing down the entire, you know, interstate uh, out in California? It would be a disaster. You know, and that's what's happening with these. So we have to we have to ally with the women, the psychologists, the high conflict cases cannot be profit centers anymore. They have to be taken out. Uh, because they'll 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 just crash the whole thing, and that's happening right now.
0: Yeah, very very much. You're seeing COVID. Uh, I think COVID exposed a lot of of the fissures that were there um, in terms of what could be handled. We'll turn. I got a couple questions here that are specifically related. This one's a two parter. I'm going to take the second part. This is from um, uh, our executive director, Casey Sowers. So. Oh. How can we approach corporations to put their lobby and campaign dollars towards promoting equal and shared parenting? So I'll give a little bit of background on this. Casey uh, last night uh, went on live and talked about the research he's doing around worker productivity and and when, when individuals are going through the family courts. So in terms of the lobbying aspect and getting corporations involved, we we can go super high level on this i'm not asking for a detailed plan but what does that process look like from the inside well i mean
1: i I, there's two different ways i mean there there's there's a consumer movement but look i've i've known plenty of corporate executives ceos they're regular people just like us and they want to be connected to i mean they want to be connected to their schools to their community to their, uh, so small, medium-sized businesses, particularly, you know, they're they're the largest funders of the school system. They're the largest funders of the social welfare organizations on a small level. Now, big corporations is something else, um, where they also want to be friendly to their customers. Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, there's so much divorce and, and active duty military service I would think some defense companies would want to start. And, and, you know, if they're preparing the warfighter for combat, you would think that they would be able, they would want the warfighter to feel comfortable when they go home. Um, you know, that, that's sort of a a message I would try. Um, I would, you know, I would look at, um, I mean, look, there's so many reasons why. I mean, look how many people can't pay their school loans. Because they're sacked with attorneys' fees, how many people can't go to college because they just had a a, a child and they're in their early twenties and they just spend it all on GAL fees and they can't afford their own college? Uh, there, there, there's there, there's the government that has an interest, but anyone tied to society. I mean, look, there there was a, a congressman from North Carolina who went in, went, went on and talked to Eric Carroll and said that this is a national security issue, the fatherless epidemic. Is a national security issue, so you know I don't know how to necessarily get Apple, Coke, Pepsi, Google necessarily uh, to open up their coffers and and to fund it this way. But you you can do it through a consumer movement, which would be more difficult. Uh, but but you know there are a lot of these corporations that have uh, offices that have public liaison, public relations, and talk to your public relations people and say, look, this is a significant part of your market and this is how you build a a loyalty of your customer base Mm -hmm. and the same applies to politicians like these politicians are crazy for not reaching out to this huge uh, population state federal local that's why this is going to get huge this is a sleeping giant
0: this is what the the thing about it so the last summer we had all the civil rights stuff explode right and I, the statistics i've seen about one per, they said one percent of the population in the united states took to the streets think about how disruptive that is and i i i'm not even going to guess i'm guessing it's probably in the 20 percentage range of the population is is african american the only movement in the history of the united states that would have equal number of individuals impacted would be suffrage in the 20s right and, and you could argue even at that point that in terms of equal and shared parenting there it's yeah. it's obviously primarily the men but how many how many women are impacted because they're supporting a, uh their new spouse that's going through it how many yeah. grandparents siblings just support system that get drained financially drained emotionally going through this this truly yeah. is could be the largest social but, movement in but, terms but
1: of you, you've seen this mark i mean this is crazy like you, you, you have these divorce cases start where you know some person is dragged in, someone's a petitioner, some someone's a respondent, and one of these people are just categorically refusing to allow the other parent to be with their children. And then they let the state issue these temporary orders where the state is rubber stamping, basically, the, the will of, of a private person getting involved and screwing things up. And it happens by the thousands every single day that's it's
0: crazy it's crazy 100 100 well we're, we're at about an hour and six minutes now so we'll kind of wrap it up so um I, I always leave it to the guests um so how can they get a hold of you um what, what areas do you service? And then any any final thoughts or anything you want to leave the guests with or the viewers with? Well, I'll, I'll
1: give my email address. I don't have a whole lot of overhead. You know, when, when you're when you're dealing with your own case, Mark, you know this is that, you know, I, I have about maybe 10 or 12 clients right now. Uh, but if someone wants to email me, I'll give them my email address. It's, uh, it's ted.bush at comcast.net. Um, yeah, you know, that's probably the easiest way to reach me right now. Um, I do a lot of advocacy. I do a a whole bunch of things. So, you know, and look, there's never going to be anyone that unifies our entire movement. There's, you know, I'm just playing a bit and and I'm doing what I can with my own perspective. So, you know, hats off to your show, Mark, hats off to all your prior guests, hats off to the Father's Rights Movement, your founder, uh, all the work that you guys did. I mean, look, we're just, you know, I'm just another, cog in the in the in the uh in the in the wheel trying to move this you know so my my children and their children will be better off than
0: than how i i was treated very very well put all right well i'm mark real thank you ted bush for coming on the show tonight we will see everyone next thursday on state of the family court